1: we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls
0: follow the trawler, it's because they think sergeants will be thrown into the sea.
2: I will love it if we beat them, love it.
3: I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday.
0: And you can pair up if you like and you can fucking pick someone else to help you and you can bring your fucking dinner. Oh, a magnificent goal from Darren Huckabee! Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him the score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh. And he has no.
1: Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? It's Series 12, Episode 1. I'm Chris Gold. joining me as always, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And this week's intro comes courtesy of Will Tristram, who says, Aloha, Aloha, Tony Yeboah. It's Michael Marden. Hello. It's good to be back aloha. in the 90s, isn't it? Ah, uh, sweet, sweet 90s. The nice warm blanket of the past. You ready for some uh, correspondence?
3: Yes, please, take me back. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic
1: Postbag. You've got mail. Okay, this email comes from uh, Jed Ashton, uh, who says, you might remember, we were talking about, the in the World Cup specials, I don't know if you remember, we were talking about the World Cup trophy and how it's not an actual cup and so on, and that yeah. perhaps it should be a bit bigger because it's a bit small. Jed says, "This got me reminiscing about some footage I saw back in the '90s. I recalled seeing the women's USA team celebrating with the most humongous trophy that I'd ever seen. It was taller than the players. The photographer what? couldn't get it all on the lead picture of them celebrating with it. I thought perhaps this was a forerunner to the current World, women's World Cup trophy, but after a bit of googling, found it was actually what they'd won for f- qualifying first from CONCACAF in 1991. Oh, exactly, It made the like actual this. World Cup trophy they won later on look tiny." In comparison, oh yeah. All right, you ready for the yeah. the the trophy you got in 1991 for finishing top of CONCACAF? Oh wow! <laughs> Look at that! <laughs> it's, how would the you shot? describe that? It? It's a tower.
3: It's a tower yeah. of a trophy. You can't even see all of it, and it's got little trophies within. <laughs> yeah, it is taller than the players. There's a player
2: behind it. Yeah, that's about six foot seven. <laughs> it looks
3: like um like a rack where you put, there's got, like, snooker cues in, doesn't it? Like, cause it's got four freestanding legs. Well, not freestanding, four legs, going all the way up to a trophy on top. And that's for winning kwonka kwonka Let's, re- yeah, finishing top of the group in 1999. So we should say, obviously, it'll be on our Instagram, but if you're, you know, if you don't want to, and you don't want to Google it, it's not all trophy. It's, it's I'd say, 80% stand. <laughs> What's interesting about it is there's like four
1: foot of stand and then a trophy yep. and then a little person on top of the trophy.
3: Ah, oh, I love the person on top of the trophy though the the footballer oh, I don't know um, on top of the trophy. I like that as a I like you know you see it a lot with like a golf trophy in a window of a. Of a key shop, don't you? Like the the picture of the the actual sportsman. Is it the snooker it feels- trophy like that? Doesn't there a little man on top of the snooker trophy? Yeah, I think that's the kind of thing I'd like to see more of, to be honest. Because <laughs> the be Premier the League trophy, to to cr- come back to criticizing the now, a crown has got to be the laziest thing you could ever put on a trophy. Also, Kong, I've all, I've never really this is gonna i'm gonna save it for the quiz at the end okay i've got a good quiz at the end Based on this uh, piece of news, okay? Is it, is it is it what does CONCACAF stand for? Well, I'm going to do different uh, acronyms from <laughs> okay. football, and what do they
1: stand for? Great, I'm in. That is incredible. There's a bit. There's a bit more to this story. We were mentioning oh, yeah. how shit. This is a, yet again. We mentioned how shit the Sabuto Cups were because they dwarfed the players, which reminded me yeah, of something yeah, he'd seen on the The biggest trophy in sport, the six-foot Kalanka Cup. Oh wow! Look the, at that. This, I don't know if you see there. It's a polo trophy awarded in India. It is, again, bigger than six foot, but it's a
3: proper, it's in scale. It's an actual trophy. That is incredible. Yeah, that's a bit more impressive because it is a trophy. If you took the people out of that picture, that's just a trophy that you would presume is a foot tall. But it's six foot tall. Brilliant. (laughs) There you love go. it love those things and what a reason to go
1: on the Instagram actually we've got, we've got another thing to talk about that is image based this is from uh, Darrell Bryant he says I'm not sure this has ever come up but he was watching Premier League years 93, 94 recently and upflashed of course a te- he was my kind <laughs> of guy <laughs> upflashed a teletext still with odds on for Graham Taylor's replacement as England
3: manager oh yes please right
1: I'm going to send it I'm going to send it around now well should we do a quiz Okay, you'll never. Okay, do it as a quiz and tell me who's favourite,
3: and I will say this Terry Venables. You'll never get it. Okay, should we name some managers and see if they're in the list? Is Venables in the list? This is the shocking thing Venables
1: isn't even on the list. Oh, wow. How many are in the list? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and a what? one million to shot, one million to one, four, uh, fourteen. Like a one. comedy one, yeah, a comedy one. Is Bobby Robson on the list? Yes, twenty to one. Eighteenth of November, 1993. Presumably the day or the day after that, Taylor gets sacked. Fergie. The, the Fergie. Yeah, twenty-five to one. Graham Tate. Uh, sorry, George Graham. George Graham. I was going to say, yeah. George sorry. Graham, ten to one. A lot of Scots on this. Um, There's one more Scot on this list. Uh, Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Dalglish, twenty-five to one. Ron Atkinson, ten to one.
3: Great. Imagine that would have been. <laughs> um, who else was a big manager around those Mike times? Walker. Oh, absolutely great
1: stuff. Twenty to one, Mike Walker. Yeah. Keeks. Gigs. Keegs, Kevin Keegan <laughs> Oh, Keegs, um, Keegs. Yes, Keegs. 10 to 1 Ryan Keegs, to one. he did become a national manager so. <laughs> Wouldn't even play for us, let alone manage us <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: Yeah, Keegan 10 to 1 We're doing well here, Michael If you get if you get the favourite
2: This is, to be honest, one of the best games I've ever played I'm loving it um, uh, Can you give us, is, is the favourite English?
3: I, I, I'm going to be honest it's really pissed all over my acronyms quiz that we're coming to at the end of the <laughs> I
2: tell you what, uh, what um, we, how
3: many have we missed how many have we missed? Don't, Skull's desperate to the quiz and I'm desperate no, to play no, it no, 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 off, Let's keep going. you're the worst quiz master I've ever <laughs> no, known you're desperate
1: but the the, the one how million left the one million to one shot you've got to get because it's like or something around this time it was constantly this guy Gaza. no Mr Blobby no famous for uh, turning Wolf up Wolf from Gladiator Yes. It's, a, it's a election night. Was his big night of the year?
3: What, Peter Snow? <laughs> no. Oh, Screaming Lord, such! Yeah, Screaming Lord! Such. Oh, classic, absolute Peter's, classic, Peter, Peter Snow. Snow. <laughs> <laughs> Screaming Lord, such was such a weird was such cultural a phenomenon, thing, wasn't such it? Such a
1: bookies thing, wasn't it? Um, how many are we missing? Oh, you're missing the favourite. I think you've missing Joe the Royal. Si- uh, Joe Royal fourteen to one. Yeah, is the favourite
2: English. Yes, Howard
3: Wilkinson. I, I I would honestly say before I saw this, Oh, um, Howard Wilkinson's a good guess. Howard Wilkinson's second favourite four to one. How many are we missing now? Apart from the favourite,
1: you're missing the f- you're missing the favourite. You're missing the third favourite, the fifth favourite, seven. Oh, are they gettable? Yes. Yeah. Completely. This,
3: this seventh, is why f- this is tenth. why the series has started again. This kind of quiz. Yeah. Um, really struggling to think of English managers that were... Howard Kendall. No. Uh, good shout. No? No. no. Actually, the tw- you Ever said uh, Bobby Robson, but it is
1: B. Robson. So... Yeah, it's got to be, hasn't it? It's got to be. Bobby. It's got to be. Be. be Bobby. Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle, 10 to 1, 4 to get. Oh, my word. It's it's same it's old as ab- Keegan, interesting. I
2: know, the rest all, the rest. all English. Uh yeah yeah so it's
3: not Doctor Joseph Venglosh
2: no. no. Uh, Peter Reid. Ah, good call. Oh no no, call. No,
3: no. Oh. no. Well, that was did a, a did great. He, he was doing a good job at Man City. Why is Peter Reed not on the fucking list? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's Peter Reed done wrong? He's not made the teletext list. That's great. Nordsat just made the list. Yeah, this is unbelievable. I think I might be out here, Michael. What do you think? Yeah, I'm sort of crossing oh, right. my straws after this.
1: Okay, shall we we'll have some clues? Okay, one in one pleat. No, no pleat. Fourteen to one, famous England player sent off in a World Cup uh, Wilkins. Wilkins, fourteen to one. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, we had... Uh, the other one is, uh, at one point, England's most expensive player. Oh, most Trevor e- Francis. Trevor Francis. Yeah. Francis. he was at one. Wednesday, yeah. And a third... So, this is 93. I think... Uh, f- might have been managing QPR or Spurs at this point. Jerry Francis. Jerry Francis. Which I think leaves... Doing a good job at the, QPR. The f- favourite. <laughs> the favourite! <laughs> Um, let me check the, How can I say that um, One of the few managers In the 90s To have male pattern balders Jim Smith No Oh Young and dynamic I would, I would describe him as Can I just tell us Steve Koppel 5 to 2 Oh wow The favourite oh. uh, Wow, wow. Out, out of work, Steve Copper was the favorite. This is from Daryl Bryant. For, thanks for sending this in. Out That's of work, incredible, yes, Steve clear favorite at five to two. Who apparently distanced himself from the role in
3: between spells at Crystal Palace. Why are you distancing himself from the role, Steve? Why is Venables not in that list? Venables That's Not even on the list. I, presu- I, don't, I just presumed Venables was like a, a gimme. Looking back, shows what I know. But I don't. I guess I, I, I've got time. to say, I don't remember Terry Venables becoming England manager at all.
1: But I guess it was a, he was in the thick of this court battle with Alan Sugar, so maybe it was resolved shortly after this. And that's uh, But you think about the ramifications here, maybe if that court battle rattles on a little bit more, Steve Coppel leading England at Euro '96 or Jerry Francis, Big
3: Ron, imagine. Big Ron, Euro '96. But then there's a world in which Terry Venables doesn't get the England job and he becomes considered a kind of big Ron, Malcolm Allison style character. Rather than do you know what I mean? Go, oh yeah, and he he went and married, managed Barcelona, and you know El and he's a, you know he's had some court battles and all that kind of. There's a a world in which that's Terry Venables' reputation if he didn't get that England job, or if we'd gone out early in Euro '96. Imagine, I think, imagine the world would be a worse place.
1: Big Rice, mad as well. Big Ron's so far up the list. I get in '93. His, sto- his stock is quite. High, isn't it? Yeah, I guess I
3: Villa were good under Big Ron, weren't they? Was it Sheffield yeah. Wednesday? Sorry, it was Sheffield Wednesday. I don't know. You know, he was good in the early 90s. What about Hoddle? Imagine Hoddle. If Hoddle had got it in 93. Well, yeah, I'd say that's the least jump to go. Imagine if Glenn Hoddle had become the England manager a few years. Like the other ones are a bit more of a. <laughs> sc- sc- <laughs> Imagine this Glenn Hoddle had become England manager two years before I became England manager. <laughs> Imagine this This is going to sound crazy to you this is going to sound cars, absolutely cars mad. in the sky. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to... Um, wrap your head around this. Wrap your head around this idea. Of all of them on there, <laughs> this is the one that blows my mind. Glenn Hoddle gets the job slightly before he got it, actually. Do you want, a, um, do you want an interesting fact? Yep. So um,
1: on our World Cup specials, we discussed the fact that France did not qualify for a World Cup between 1986 and 2006. Well, thank you for, to Roy Mundy, who points this out. England can claim the same. They qualified in 1962 for Chile. We didn't need to qualify in 66 as we were hosts. We didn't need to qualify in 1970 as we were holders. We then failed to qualify in 74 and 78 and then qualified for 82 in Spain. A 20-year gap between qualifications, 62 to 82, staring us right in the face. And only Roy Mundy has noticed this.
0: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com.
4: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk
3: to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDSE.
1: And one final bit of correspondence courtesy of Ben Dalgleish. Not sure of any relation there. Um he says, Hi chaps, love the show, Shame About England. Now we might I don't know if you remember, but we were discussed in the World Cup specials, Michael's Dream World Cup, a knockout cup competition that would take place between all the teams in the world. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The well, actual World Cup. The actual World <laughs> Cup. <laughs> ben has discussed has realised something, right? It reminded him of the fact that due to the elevation above sea level that La Paz is. Bolivia yeah. oh, would oh, essentially man. be Hans. impossible to beat at home. And he believes they oh. haven't been, or at least haven't been for many years, beaten at home, which would make Michael's World Cup really interesting. If Bolivia continued to get drawn at home, would they essentially win the knockout World Cup? Because oh, they would literally be this unplayable to any team, uh, no other team in the world because of oxygen levels. Imagine yeah. what great television this would make as the world's best players turn up to La Paz and get... Easily oh, exhausted yes.
3: by the sea level difference. They always, they always talk about La Paz being high above sea level. That is a cla- that is such a fact. You know when you're like <laughs> footballing facts that come up loads. Bolivia's home ground in La Paz being <laughs> way above sea level. So does this happen in the? Um, is it? It's not CONCACAF, is it? That's the north of um, wh- whatever the South American qualifying is. We'll come to it in the quiz. Does this happen? To Argentina and Brazil every time in qualifying for the World Cup, then? Let's have a look. I'm just having a look at Bolivia's recent fixtures, okay? Oh, they did, they lost at home to Chile recently.
1: Oh, well, Chile is well, really I mean, he's quite mountainous, I suppose. But they did, Bolivia beat Uruguay 3 0 at home. uh, in November 2021. I'm trying to see. Let's see, when the last time they played someone... Oh, just having a quick scan, they do have a very good record at home. A nil-nil. They drew
3: nil-nil with Brazil in 2017 at home. You have to say, they should be qualifying better for tournaments. If you've basically got a great home record, and then you... Because don't four or five teams qualify from whatever that uh, group is called. It's like a group of nine, and half of them qualify. You'd think, if you've got a, a great home record... You could, should be able to go to Venezuela and a couple of other places, pick up some yeah, points, yeah,
2: and then you're basically at the World Cup, yeah. Well, may, maybe it's a case of their players are suffering as well. They, what they'd have to do is pick only people from that region, basically, that were already naturally acclimatized. Because if you're any good, you're probably leaving that country and playing abroad. You, oh, do you think? Quickly. Do you think Bolivia's skill has gone downhill since? It's been, it's been diluted by the sort of the opening up of the international transfer scene. So the moment a Player comes across, and then he's very quickly conditioned to oh, know, European or South that's, American. That's a great point. So they'd have to do what's that club in Spain that sort of only have players? I uh, bow. Sort of the Basque Bas- Bas Region or whatever it is. Yeah, it's something like that. They'd have
1: well, or Yorkshire
3: sort of- Cricket Club back in the day. It would only have Yorkshiremen. <laughs> even in the even in the eighties, they were only having Yorkshiremen.
2: <laughs> and and, and, and in, in this version of the World Cup, what I'd imagined is you know your first opponent that's kind of drawn slightly ahead of time because the logistics would be too impossible. So you could train your team for high-altitude training because you know you've got Bolivia first game. But whoever's getting them drawn out of the the pot next has basically got three days to go through some kind of like hardcore boot camp where they're at base camp at Everest like with a football trying to get used to it. So do you then prepare your team for that or do you just accept, well, if we get Bolivia, we're out. Is is, is this not a better way of doing the World Cup? and then we'll get on with our brilliant guest. But this, I
3: think, is a better way of doing the fixtures, Mike. You do it like that, but you're saying three days. Is that too long? Would it not be better? (laughs) All the teams meet up, and they're not told the draw, and then the players are blindfolded. They're put on a very expensive private jet. They're all flown to the grounds blindfolded. They don't know where they're going to be. They then get their blindfolds taken off in the dressing room, yeah? (laughs) Obviously, the home team would recognise the dressing room. They know where they are, and then when they come out to warm up, that's the first time they see their opponents and their managers. <laughs> their managers are at that point frantically googling, frantically like trying to make plans, stuff like. That. <laughs> um, do you know, what, you have actually- to pick your team as well before the other team is. You know your opponents. Some right back going, oh fuck, it's Neymar. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, do you know uh, Dave Matheson, who runs the CM9798 blog? He's actually worked out, Michael. He's actually proposed exactly how a, a World Cup, a World Cup knockout tournament would work. He's done that. Do you want to hear how it would actually work? Absolutely. Yeah. He's figured out 211 countries would enter. The top 45 in the FIFA world ranking are given a bye to the first round. Although Michael said it wouldn't be seeded, there would need to be some byes to make the numbers up. The FA Cup already has some seeding with Premier League championship clubs joining in the third round, League yeah. 1 and League 2 of in course. first round, etc. So there would be a preliminary round with the bottom ranked 166 countries, which would be Mali in 46th to San Marino in 211th. They have they would have, there'd be 83 matches to decide who goes into the first round where the top top 45 ranked countries Brazil in first to Turkey in 45 then get drawn against the 83 countries who qualified from the preliminary round 128 matches and the second round is 64 countries 32 matches third round 32 countries 16 matches fourth round 16 countries 8 matches core finality yeah etc etc So the current World Cup winners play seven matches, which would be the same for this format unless they entered through the preliminary round. So basically, it would work out about the same amount of games to win the World Cup.
2: Yeah, but they all matter more. Yeah, what I would say, I I love that as a sort of uh, starting point, but I I wouldn't give those top teams a buy. If you have to build in the buy process in order for the structure and the numbers to work, it's just a lottery. Like the first teams picked out of the hat get picked and the last ones, you're like you've all got a bye. And if that happens oh, to be 10 terrible teams, great, they get through to the next round. Or through the draw process to make it exciting, you go, okay, the next two teams we pick out, will get a bye, and then we're back to the draw. But I don't think the top teams, I think it should be completely neutral. Well, that's what happened in the European Cup. It used to be that.
3: And my favourite ever, I don't know whether I said this at the time, whatever year it was, the year after Nottingham Forest won the European Cup, first round, Obviously, Forrest are re-entered as European Cup winners and they get drawn against English champions Liverpool in the first round of the European Cup. Yeah, imagine that. Right in, if there's a better first round for, like, fucking hell, I can't believe that's come out of it. <laughs> like, out of the cat. Yeah. And I think Forest won again, didn't they? Because they retained the European Cup. Amazing. Um, lovely. Wow. If you want... To talk to us about that or any of these issues raised in this podcast, this is how to get in touch.
1: Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Our guest this week, I would say, had an iconic look shaved head, socks down by his ankles. He plays, got more clubs than Nick Faldo. You know who he is. Let's meet him. Steve Claridge. Our guest this week is one of 90s football's most colourful characters. With his trademark socks rolled down his ankles, he broke through non-league ranks in the 80s to reach the very top of the game, culminating in the 1996 playoff final where his goals saw Leicester City, as well as himself, reach the promised land of the Premier League. A nomadic career known for its 22 clubs and 34-year length, as well as the fact he played at all levels of the English game. It's an awesome pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin, Steve Claridge. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. First thing I want to ask about is like when you think of Steve Claridge in my mind, it's like the socks were always round by the ankles. And I said that the first thing I would would want to ask you is, how did that look come about? Was it intentional? Do you prefer playing like that?
0: Do I tell the truth, or do I tell you a little white lie? I either stay sane or I make myself sound like I'm a complete lunatic. Tell us both and we'll decide which is the truth. Okay, (laughs) then. Right. So basically, (laughs) the truth is that I put my socks down because I know this might sound very strange to you, but when I looked down at my boot, I hated it if it looked too big. With my socks down, it made my foot feel more into my boot and it made it feel more comfortable. Oh, wow. What happened was the boot didn't move around so much as well. Plus... The added bonus was I never actually had to make a tackle because I never had my shin pads up, did I? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so did you never wear shin pads throughout your career then?
0: I did. I took the fins out because they were the big sort of ankle-thin ones. I don't know if you've ever worn them, but I yeah. had actually three fins in the front. Yeah. And I'd just take the fins out and then it would just fall into a sock and I'd just push the sock down. I didn't do that. I hated to have my left foot. Only with my right, because my right was the only one I used. You see, so. <laughs> did managers ever talk to you about it? Did anyone care? Only referees. Managers only care when you play badly. Yeah. Pull <laughs> your socks up. You're rubbish. When you score a goal, they didn't care.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> is it even allowed not to wear shin pads? I thought you had to wear shin pads.
0: No, I had them on. But they weren't functioning as they should have. (laughs) Technicality. Yes, we're talking about mere technicality. And
3: one other question on that, which obviously is begged the question, is surely defenders thought target is right shin?
0: Oh, look, don't forget, I played in the era where anything below the knee wasn't considered a tackle. (laughs) So it was literally just a free for all. I mean, you must have seen back some of the old footage where you look back and go, how's he not been sent off? He's not even been booked. (laughs) <laughs> sort of 15 is a, a game sort of thing. And then play through that era, then you go into the 90s and things start to change and diets and habits and you know everything that then starts to become more professional. And obviously it's just gone on and on from there. So I sort of played through three different eras.
3: But you kind of rose up at the point when it became more professional.
0: Yes. The yes.
3: difference between, say, Weymouth and Leicester at the times you're at them must have just been a massive just infinite
0: you transition with the times don't you you either stay as you are or you change Look, i'll give you a quick indication of really what changed my whole perspective on fitness and health was i had a very transient lifestyle up to the age of around 24 25 i was here there and everywhere i was living with friends and lived with mates and bunking in hotels and stuff like that anyway i was at cambridge and john beck and obviously, I had a fractious relationship, to say the least, with John Beck.
3: You could have come to John Beck a lot, I imagine.
0: Yes, but a positive from that time was I'd never been beaten in a race. I was incredibly fit. I couldn't play, but I was incredibly fit. Mm. Don't say yes, but i said say I couldn't play. <laughs> <either>. <laughs> I was agreeing with the fit You're just bit. supposed to come in there and say, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, go, yeah.
3: Sorry, sorry. You were
0: fast as well as bad. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, basically, we had a lad called Steve Welsh, and he came out of the army, and he beat me. And I thought, I'd never been beaten in a race before, over a significant distance. So I thought, no, 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 no. Anyway, it was pre-season, and we went down to an army camp at Blandford. And I kid you not, I was 26 years old, and for the first time in my life, we got up at 5 o'clock, we had a breakfast, a lunch, an evening meal, we trained three times a day. We lived as professionals would live, obviously, with a, being in an army camp, and there wasn't an awful lot you could do. So I slept, I ate, and I lived properly. And we had a race on the Sunday before we left. Went down there on the Sunday, two-and-a-half-mile race, and I beat this kid standing on my head. Absolutely beat him in a camp. Yeah. And I thought, this is a week. What is the difference between last yeah. Sunday and this Sunday, and it was basically because I'd lived properly. And I was probably working on about 80%, but there's yeah. so much more left because I wasn't living right. And from that day, I literally everything just went bang, and I changed. Oh, wow. Because that, I probably got, I would say, 400 more games out of my career.
3: Yeah. So what were you living like? Obviously, you moved a lot of clubs, so you were just living, a, I suppose, just a young person's drifting lifestyle, but you happened to be a footballer.
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, you... Every couple of years, I would move clubs. So there's nobody around you. There's no one with you. You're basically moving from club to club. I was prepared to go wherever I was wanted. I was prepared to go if the club was a good club, it was a better club, and I earned more money. And that was something that I, I realised very early on when I started playing football, was that that was a lifestyle that you would have to put up with. And particularly where I started and where I was hoping to get to, I didn't have anyone who was going to do me any favours. didn't have anyone who was going to take me with them, a manager was going to say, oh, I'll take him to the Premier League. Every step was a hard step for me. But in the end, you keep going and you keep believing and you give yourself the best opportunity, then thankfully I got there. So you started with Fairham Town, is that right? In the no, I started at Portsmouth. So I was a schoolboy and then an apprentice at Portsmouth. I got paid up at Portsmouth because I didn't go to the college. So it was quite a big deal. I must be the only apprentice in the country who ever got paid up. but. <laughs> What happened then was, unfortunately, I broke my ankle very badly. And, yeah, I had to go and get a a job. At the time, I was an apprentice at Pompey. I had a little market stall as well. So I was selling fruit and veg Friday, Saturday morning. So I'll give you a little indicator. I started off doing it Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My dad was a market gardener. Yeah. My little veg stall, and I stuck it on the side of the road. Because I used to go and sell strawberries up at Wimbledon. Yeah. I loved fruit and veg. So I know what I was doing. So we started off, I did Friday, Saturday, Sunday. was the first week. I took 24 quid. By the time I finished Christmas week, the week preceding Christmas, and I finished this Christmas, I took seven grand. Bloody
3: hell.
0: That was in 91. Bloody hell. <laughs> yeah. Do you do all the voices, all that free for pound, all that No, stuff? No, not when cars go past at 60 mile an hour. It doesn't really count, man. <laughs> this just the side of the road. But I have such a clientele, and obviously... I was reasonably well-known as well at that stage. Yeah. So people wanted to come and have a chat. And, and I was getting up at two, three o'clock in the morning and getting the fruit and oh. veg In the field behind where I was selling the stuff, we was growing cabbages, raspberries, strawberries. I can remember that sort of week. We did Christmas trees, wreaths, crosses. I was picking lettuce and cabbage out of the field quickly and I could sell it. I was cutting it <laughs> and selling it. So was there part of you
3: that didn't want to become a footballer? You were like, I'm making too much money in fruit and
0: veg. You know, what? I, when I left, I left for Cambridge and I probably earned about a third, if that, of what I was <laughs> earning. Yeah. I went to Weymouth once and I cut some cabbage up for the stall and cut my finger off. So I had a leave for Weymouth with half my finger missing sort of thing as I'm going down for the game. So I strapped it up just before the game. So he's going, what you done? So I said, I need to cut my finger. So I said, i cutting some cabbage from the stall. But I made a living out of it at Shop. We never got paid. I used to yeah. sell it to all the other lads.
3: Amazing.
0: A <laughs> load of veg in the back of my car, sell it to the lads. Brilliant. Yeah.
3: Have you ever um, discussed with Gary Lineker? Because obviously he's from a fruit and veg stall stock.
0: Yes, I'm not quite sure that he actually got down and dirty like I
3: did. No. Uh, <laughs> it's something about great strikers on fruit and veg, right? It's a clear line. Well, speaking
1: of wheeler dealers, although this man doesn't like that term, you cross past Harry Redknapp, right, quite early on in your career, when you were at Bournemouth, is that right? I did, yeah. He knows a bargain, and given what you went on to achieve, is it surprising that he didn't spot you at Bournemouth? He did. But he flogged
0: you, didn't he, to Weymouth? He sold me, that's because... Weymouth had more money than Bournemouth. I remember the first day I drove in, I had a little classic car. It wasn't classic at the time, but it is now, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to swap this car that was, I didn't realise it was being scrapped the next day. Morris Minor sort of touched But he was, tried to swap his car for your car? No, not his. It was some car that was being scrapped. But he obviously thought I'd have that one and he'd have my nice new one. That was the first day <laughs> I drove in, by the way. So I knew no, what no, I was dealing no, with. No. I'll give you an indication of what Harry was like, all right? Okay, so I said to you, I can run. Yeah. So there was a track at Bournemouth, and um, I ran around this track, and I did it three times. And someone timed me, and it got back to Harry, and Harry said, there's no way you can do that. I said, I can, I've done it. And so he said, I'll bet you 100 quid you can't. I said, i bet 100 quid I can. So bear in mind, I was on £25 a week. So you can imagine, it's a month's wages to me. Yeah. A lot of money. So we get the day of the race, I turn up at the track and he's somehow, he's put some advertising boards in the lane one. So I've got to run on these for a start. He's managed to put some advertising boards. I said, you have to move them. He said, no, no, no. He said, that's part of the club. That's the Athletics Club, put them there. Of course, they had an area put them there, hadn't they, for a start. Anyway, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that he was the timekeeper. So he starts to watch. I run it. Everybody else, has, by the way, he's the bookie and everyone else has had a little bit of a tickle with him. So everyone's had a bet thinking I can do it. I've had Andrew hundred quid with him. Anyway, we get to a race. I do it. He's got yeah. the watch. Oh, he says, you've just missed it. <laughs> Everyone else has gone, Gaffer, no, no, no. It's, he's got official, look, this has got official time. He said, you just missed it. He said, look, he said, I'll do you all a favor. He said, I'll let you off. He said, well, I won't take the money. He said, keep the money. <laughs> So obviously we've walked away and we're yeah. all a bit peeved at this. So anyway, there's a session he puts on where he stands on the edge of the box and we're all around the D on the edge of the box. And what he does is he gets the ball, you roll it to him, he touches it and you hit it into the goal. So basically, we've all got a ball, He stood there, he's gone right. He said, knock it to me and I'll knock it off for you. And everyone's got a ball, so everyone just picked the ball up and booted it straight at him. <laughs> uh, Maybe you can learn to keep time now, and so that was our way of getting back in because he'd stitched everyone up. We all knew it, of course, but there's nothing we could do about it. So, was he nice to
3: play for? Could you tell that he was going to go places?
0: Not at that time. I mean, obviously, I was only Hmm. a kid, so you're more worried about yourself. I mean, as you get older, you start to appreciate what a manager brings to the party, and that, but at that stage, I you're just worried about yourself and trying to improve yourself and trying to better yourself. So yeah. at that stage, I wouldn't want to make a, form an opinion on him as a manager.
3: And when you then moved to Weymouth, who you spent ages at Weymouth. You spent three years in the mid 80s, 110 games, more games for Weymouth than any other team actually in your career.
0: Yeah, well, it's two and a half years. Yeah, at Weymouth. Your longest
1: ever spell with a club, two and a half years.
0: Yeah, I mean, the club had money. I could have gone on numerous occasions, but didn't. And the club obviously wanted to get out and into the league. Unbeknown to me, they don't have to tell you if someone's come in for you. You I I enjoyed my time there, a good side. They were top three non-league sides in the country. We'd stay overnight everywhere we went. They paid strong money. I mean the club had three hotels, flats, houses. We opened the ground, May United came down, I think it was six or seven thousand there. We would have won the league that year. The year that Lincoln won the league, we played Lincoln first game of the season beat them 3-0, and beat them really comfortably. And we were top of the league come Christmas. Unfortunately, a natural spring broke on the pitch. So <laughs> it was a new pitch. No. We didn't playing it for three months. Oh, my God. Yeah, and in that time, because you could barely walk on the pitch. So where did you play? We played at Paul at Bournemouth. Nah. No. Yeah, we played Vinnie Jones, played for Wildstone when we played them at Bournemouth. He got sent off, of course. <laughs> fighting with our keeper, Len Bonn. <laughs> It was a difficult time that year because we knew we had a side that was good enough to win it. But unfortunately, I think, we, yeah, it was four months without playing at home.
3: So basically you were kept from going to the Football League by a natural spring happening in the middle of the pitch. Absolutely,
0: mate. A natural spring stopped us from playing in the Football yeah, League. That is incredible. That's
3: crazy. What happened to Weymouth in the end? Because obviously by the 90s, they weren't one of them.
0: Well, yeah, no, that's because obviously, the... obviously I left, mate, and they went downhill very quickly. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, it after Weymouth came Crystal Palace.
0: Yeah, it did, but it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my stay at Crystal Palace was scuppered by Roadworks on the A3. What's going what? on here? It- that <laughs> sums up my stay at Palace.
3: So talk us through this stay at Palace then.
0: Well, the stay at Palace can be summed up in a couple of games. I can't remember what his name was. Now, the manager of... He wasn't the manager, he was the youth team manager... He used to wear big gold chains. He became the manager for a short period as well. Alan Smith? I think it might have been Alan Smith. He was absolutely clueless. (laughs) Said to me, stay within the 18-yard box. Don't play outside of that. Now, my whole game was built around getting about the pitch, creating stuff, getting hold of the ball for people, linking the play, getting hold of it, holding it up. And he's trying to tell me, stay within the box. It was ludicrous. Anyway, I couldn't have him for love nor money. We had a lad called Dennis. Do you remember Dennis Bailey? Yeah, he scored that
3: hat-trick for QPR.
0: That's the one against Man United? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, Dennis was a lovely bloke. Everyone loved him. This gives you an indication why you must treat everybody fairly. I'm late for a game. I've got to say, in 34 years, I've never, ever been late for a game. But I'm late for this game. It's a, a reserve game. And it's actually at the ground, Crystal Palace. So I turn up late. It's the A3. It took me three and a half hours to get to the Palace. It's horrendous. So I turn up. And I'm 20 minutes late. Obviously, I've kept in touch. Let him know. We're actually playing Portsmouth, obviously the club that I was at before. So I wanted to play in this one. But he leaves. says, you're late. I can't argue. So he leaves me out. So fine. Anyway, two games later, two weeks later, we've got a game and we're playing at the training ground, which is at Merton. Yeah. So I turn up. Already. And Dennis Bailey turns up and he's late. He starts. <laughs> so I say, hold on a minute. Two weeks ago, I turned up late. He left me out. Two weeks later, Dennis does the same and he's playing. Can you please tell me what the difference is? And he couldn't tell me. And I thought, mm, no, sorry. And you know, and I left. I had Mark and Ian right in front of me, which was also happy on my way a bit annoying (laughs) they were at their peak and let me tell you they weren't for budging so and I knew I needed to go and A I needed to play with someone who knew what they were talking about and B I needed to get in a first team somewhere and feel part of it
3: and what was Ian Wright like at that time were
0: you oh he was very brash even then in 1988 yeah he was obviously they knew they were the top men and that's the way they were would he be like that now probably not But did that suit the circumstances? Did that suit the personality that they both were at the time? Probably yes. Yeah. They were good enough to get away with it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. If they'd been lesser players, they'd have been put in their place. But every week, those two put up, so people forgave them for lots. You then moved
3: to Aldershot. Are you relocating every time? Are you just kind of driving to these places, or?
0: Uh, Well, Palace was. I could drive to Palace. I'm sort of between Pompey and Southampton. Yeah. Aldershot was another one of those that I was okay driving to. And did you pick clubs
3: on that? Like, you're like, oh, Aldershot's quite good because I can drive to it. Or is it you just getting lucky?
0: No, no, I would have gone anywhere. No, I I went on loan to Aldershot and then they decided that they would buy me. I think they paid about 15 grand. I mean, we weren't the best team at Aldershot. The first year I was there, we never got out the bottom three. I remember driving in, first game we had, it was a bloke called Giorgio Mazzen. And I drove in behind him. And he parked in the Handicap Bay. I said to him, as we got out of the cars, obviously, because he was the player, I said, surely you can't park there. I said, that's Handicap Bay. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm registered disabled. He said, I broke my back in a car accident. Now, that was our playmaker. <laughs> so that gives you an indication of how good we were. <laughs> the, the club had a do, OK, with one of these big functions. Right? I went back to it. It was a function to celebrate 20 years since liquidation. <laughs> so that gives you some idea of the success the club had had. In that period. <laughs> the only thing we had to celebrate was liquidation. Because that
3: happened two years after you left, they went under. No,
0: they went under while I was there. They sold me in the sort of January time for 7,500 yeah. grand. And that paid for them to get through to the summer. Right,
3: well...
1: And
0: then they went bankrupt.
3: And so what was it like around the ground at that point? Like, how
0: shabby and, like... Have you got facilities? Have you got toilet roll? How does it work? Is it, like... Well, I mean, you didn't get paid. We came in just for games. Bloody hell. I mean, the times that the game stopped because we didn't have any footballs to play with, and there's a railway track just to the side of the ground. There was holes in the roofs of the stands. It was a tough place, tough place. It's really... Really down on its luck sort of thing. I mean, it was a great club. The lads there were great. Some of stuff I wouldn't want to even repeat, but it was good fun. And I think it was good grounding as well for everybody because yeah. they were tough times. The only time you know how much you're going to get is by how full the buckets are when they go around, you know, at half-time oh, mate, to see. That's oh the state of affairs it was. So, yeah, it was tough. Yeah.
1: So when John Beck rings you up and says, why don't you come to Cambridge United? Is he quite charming? How does that first meeting go?
0: I think every manager is if they want. Yeah, I mean, if they want players, I think we're all charming, aren't we? I've been the other side of the coin as well. So, yeah, I think everybody is. And
3: you had a fractious relationship with John Beck, but it was at a time when it is undoubtedly the greatest period in the history. We would have been the
0: only club to have gone from the bottom league to the top league in consecutive years. Yeah. So close. We got promotion, promotion, and then we got beaten the playoffs by Leicester. That was an unbelievable side. That side would have finished mid-table in the Premier League. Do you think? No, no problem at all. Most of that side went on to play in the Premier League anyway. How did it
1: compare to, like, your Leicester side you were in, the won the League Cup?
0: It was probably not quite as good, but it wasn't far away. And, I mean, don't get that Leicester side on two major cup finals and a playoff final. Yeah. So seventh and eighth in the league. So we're talking about a very, very high bar. And was that just a coming together of players? Yes. And it wasn't up to a point, I mean, it was ridiculous the way we played. I remember in the championship, we played everyone once. Yeah. And literally everybody knew what we were going to do. We played against Newcastle. Brian Kilcline was playing from yeah, killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Kilcline never came within 20 yards of me. Yeah. He knew exactly what was going to happen before we'd even made that run. So basically all we would do is put the ball into the channel. Yeah. Then we would play off other people's mistakes. Yeah. Now, when the higher you go, you know, you're know you literally giving the ball away. He was literally stood in the corner <laughs> before I'd even made that run. <laughs> so it was around Christmas and we beat beaten Ipswich. We had a game in hand and we are three points clear. we have just gone three points clear with Ipswich. We second. We've beaten them 2-1. So the next game we play, because as I say, it was a fractious relationship. I'll give you an indication of how yeah. fractious it was. We start the game. Brennan, anyway, we're top of the league. I played 12 minutes. I get the ball and I pass it back to a midfielder rather than hooking it on. 12 minutes, my number comes up. I'm off, Substitute up for 12 minutes. I've had an absolute gutful, absolute gutful. Bearing in mind, I've been the sub who's been subbed, but I've been left out numerous occasions. Do you realise at that point, when it goes up, that's why
3: I've been subbed?
0: Yeah, I know that I've passed the ball back to someone who's had a shot and it's hit the top of the bar, but I've been taken off because I've passed it back. So we're going to the dressing room. Half-time comes, everyone comes in. I'm stood in the physio's room, which is obviously a room adjoining the dressing room. He comes in and everyone sat down. We're two nil down. They know what we're doing now. There's no problem. They know exactly what we're doing. we have not a threat. We're just giving them the ball now, basically, because everybody knows they've played this once. So I've had an absolute gutful of him. So he comes in, he sits down, everyone sits down. I'm stood in the physio's room, just in the door. He goes, oh, you. He goes, you get yourself in here. I said, no. I said, I'm not doing another thing you say. I said, i had a gut feeling. you now. What you've done there, you've embarrassed me. So he walks over to me. His eyes are gone. Obviously, we're losing two said That does And he comes towards me. I know what he's going to do. He comes to butt me. <gasps> so he goes to butt me. So I push him away. And as I push him away, he falls into the machines that are in the physio's room yeah. that obviously they use to treat you. So he comes up and now he's sort of swinging away. And I managed to grab hold of him and I put him under my arm and I started to punch him. (laughs) And Gary Peters, who's his assistant, comes in, sees what's going on, jumps on my back and proceeds to try and strangle me, to get me off him. Daishi, the big dozy pillock, sees what's going on, jumps on Gary Peters' back, who's on my back. (laughs) Daishi's trying to get Gary Peters off of me. Gary Peter's trying to get me off of John Beck all the time I've still got him in the headlock, hitting him. Anyway, gets broken up. Funnily enough, the game was televised. He goes back out. He's got this huge, great black eye.
3: Amazing.
0: Anyway, we're getting after the game, get beat 2-0. He comes in, he sits everyone down, he goes, it's a shame you lot didn't show the effing passion that he did. <laughs> I, I should have banged you first day I came. <laughs> That was the sort of relationship that we had.
3: Oh, wow.
0: And have you seen him since you left Cambridge? In passing, in passing. I'm not one to bear grudges. We would have been in the Premier League if it hadn't been for John Beck. But having said that, would we have had the opportunity to get into the Premier League if it hadn't been for John Beck? I don't know. He built the side. He was not responsible for the success of that team. Because we did it in spite of him, not because of him. But he still got those players to the football club and moulded them into a team and got the right characters. And somehow it was a perfect fit. But if he'd given an inch, we'd have won the league by a street. But he wouldn't. He just would not give. We kept playing that way. And in the end, we were that good, we actually got to the playoffs playing that way, just literally giving people the ball. Oh. So, he left the next year. Cambridge didn't win a game for 15 games. He then went to Preston. I think he lost his first 12 games at Preston because he kept wanting to play that way. He wouldn't give an inch. Without good players, players who can play that system, yeah. it was a ridiculous system to play. Is it right that the training's just kicking it into the corner, there's the long grass? Was all of that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We grew the grass longer. He put signs in the corners. But all this, you have to understand, it's a little bit like Martin Allen, where a lot of this was done to bring the attention onto him.
3: Right, yeah. Everything
0: was done to take the focus. He will say, and they'll both wrap it up, as I did it to take the pressure off the players. Nothing of the sort. It was to bring the focus and the attention onto them. They wanted that. They loved that attention. It was, you know, the success was all down to them. It's nothing to do with the players, which was absolutely rubbish. It was all yeah. just filling their egos.
3: That's fascinating.
0: Let's not get consumed by this. Managers don't do these things. All these, these stupid go and have a swim on the in the sea, you know, and all those stupid little incidentals like that that some managers do. That's not what wins your games of football. All that does is, oh, look that person has done that. Yeah, what yeah, a fantastic yeah. thinking outside the box. Well done, that's brilliant good characters, good players, who are set up tactically right when your games are football. All the rest is just icing on a cake.
3: There's loads of good players in that team. Obviously, the biggest name is probably Dion Dublin, who was incredible. Could you tell with Dion Dublin, was he a different level to the players you were playing no, against? not at all. No, not at, no. at all? Deion really?
0: No, no, no. no. Dion wasn't... No, Dion was a really good player. Yeah. I played with one or two players, and it was... Difficult to read them. They weren't particularly good. With him, he had a great ability to get up in the air and he'd almost, while he was up there, look around and see where you were and flick it on. Yeah. He was perfect for what we wanted to do. And he was a good player to boot as well. Yeah. But he was by no means a better player than most of the other players. We had some fantastic players. Daisy played in there. Yeah. Phil Chapel, Mickey Heathcote, Lee Philpott, Richard Wilkins, who was probably one of the best midfielders of that era and in that division. So we had fantastic players. Unbelievable set of lads.
1: What would you say was the highlight from your time, that first spell with Cambridge? Obviously, you mentioned beating Ipswich away. You won 2-1 to go top of the league. And obviously, there was playoff victory. Yeah,
0: 34,000 people in local derby. Oh, scored the winner. Yeah, it was a fantastic time, great day. But I think it was always tinged with that, that knowledge that it was only ever going to be a, a ceiling to the way that we played. I think anybody who knew that, I remember we did a 90-minute session of one touch. In the end, I just couldn't do what he wanted me to do. And he used to, this is the punishment, right? He used to stand me in the center circle and run everyone else. What? And you just stand there. And then what he tried to do was get everyone to have a go at me because I had not played the way he wanted. So he punished everyone else. can give a monkey's what anyone said to me i'm just thinking waffle why would you do that you're punishing the wrong person i'm just sitting there thinking i couldn't play the way you want you know i say my game was all about getting hold of it bringing people into play and he's trying to say to me get it and hook it on into the corner so that we get a throw in or a corner and i'm just thinking oh no i just can't do it And as you say, the further up you go, the better the players are. The more you keep giving them the ball, the more they don't give it back to you. And in the end, we were literally just giving it to the opposition.
3: And you were part of kind of people trying to convince him to play otherwise.
0: He said to us as a group, do you think that I should leave? Do you think that we should change the style of football? And we'd all been talking about it. There's only two of us who put our hand up. Yeah. Yeah, I have been known to me, the two have put our hand up. We weren't going to play again. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it feels mad that he kept you for so
0: long. I could have gone to Blackburn under Kenny Dalgleish. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't realise this till Ray Harford was Kenny's assistant and I obviously played for Ray at Millwall. Yeah. Yeah, he said at the time, Kenny wanted you, but they wouldn't let you go. Oh, man. Do you have regrets about stuff like that or does it not? No, no, I mean, that's there's nothing I can do about it, I can't regret. And I had a wonderful time at Cambridge as well. As I say, we were as good as, at that stage, we were probably as good as Blackburn anyway, so probably if not better. Yeah. We were playing against Blackburn and we were probably better than them at that stage. I mean, you played
3: under some big characters. We've covered Harry Redknapp, John Beck. You go to Luton, but then Birmingham under Barry Fry, who is...
0: Oh, I mean, the club had just been taken over by David Sullivan, the Golds, Karen Brady. What a time to be at Birmingham. That's an exciting time. Incredible. I mean, you're playing as a ground is being built around you. The club went from Kumar Brothers before. where The club was absolutely on its knees, I promise you. I got there after they just started, but you could see... The remnants of what the club was before yeah. they got there, what they did in that space of time—they you know transformed the club. We went club that averaged between four and six thousand to a club that was averaging between twenty-five and thirty
3: thousand. That's amazing. Wow. What was Barry like day to day to deal with? Was he exactly as you'd imagine? From- oh
0: well, no. What Baz knew about football, you could write on the back of a postage stamp and fold it in half. <laughs>
3: I thought you were gonna say he's a lot cannier than you'd think, but you're no, you're... let me just say,
0: as getting players in, another very, very good judge of player. Everybody who came to the club at that stage came up. Yeah. No one came down. So these were all players that were hungry, that were good players that I played against Baz when he was at Barnet. So I knew what I was getting into. I mean, I can remember going and watching watching the team at Underhill. Do you remember probably don't a lad called Robert Codner? No, he used don't. to play uh, Barnett, midfielder. I can remember I was watching the game and the game finished and Baz had this, he used to love these sort of quite sort of loud suits and he'd wear these snakeskin shoes. And <laughs> I can remember him running onto the pitch and he's waving his finger like this at uh, Robert Codner. And as he got to Robert, Robert just went bang and <laughs> smacked Baz. Baz just went slid down the hill underhill unbelievable (laughs) just hit the deck (laughs) got up covered absolutely covered It's a really wet windy anyway we go into the bar I saw like Robert walks in he's got all this cut down the side of his face said to him what's happened to you I said we just had a little bit of a set two Baz had gone in Baz had all these rings smacked him in the dressing room it's all been pulled apart anyway Robert's at the bar, I'm at the bar, Baz walks in, as brass, I'm oh, out, Robert, he said, what do you want then, what are you having to drink, Stevie Boy, what do you want, he said, what do you want to drink, you'd never have believed what had just happened, you know, like a dog has a seven second memory, that was Baz, Baz couldn't even remember what he said, I can remember him, he'd say something to you, and then you put him after the game, like, I, remember, I never. Say, I wouldn't say that to you, Stephen. I never said that, Stephen. I can tell you now, I didn't. I'm myself. Is that convincing? He said something, and it was just for reaction. I think just forget about it. We had Kev Francis. Do you remember Big yeah, Kev? Big. Six foot yeah. seven, Kev Francis yeah. came in. We just bought him eight hundred grand back in the day. Eight hundred grand from. Yeah, that's ball. a lot of money. A Lot of money. We're in the dressing room. at crew just been beat three 0 It's his first game. Baz comes in, starts going through the team. And Baz was merciless. He broke you. if you weren't strong, he'd break you. Gets to Kev. Kev, Kev, he said. The worst player. He said, I've signed 76 this year. He said, you're undoubtedly the worst of the lot. (laughs) He said, Eddie, this is his assistant. How much did we play for this clown? And he went, 800. 800, he said, 800. He said, there's only thing left. we still got to pay. He said, because can't we give him back? He said, keep that money, he said, because this is the worst player I've ever signed. Anyway, he goes on to berate him for about five minutes. By this time, Kev started at 6'7". He's 5'3", let me tell you. first <laughs> walks out of the room. I'm sat next to Kev. I said, Kev, I think he quite likes you, mate. I've heard far worse. All <laughs> my life. He looked at me like I'm some sort of lunatic. And I had heard far worse, mate. <laughs> We had 76 players one year. Players would come to us, That's would break them because he was just so in your face. If you had a weak character, he would just break you. I counted 22 players I played with that year at Birmingham. What's it like being in the squad when that's happening? Well, I remember playing in the semi-final. We're in the hotel and I went down for some tea and toast and he's got two centre forwards on a sofa talking about signing them and I'm going through to the room to have some tea and toast prior to a semi-final of the Cup. <laughs> are, are the Golds just backing him? Well, they did up to a point, and then what happened was we got to a point where there were so many players coming in and out, they stopped, Yeah. and Baz had to stop, and we went 25 games unbeaten because we just settled on a squad and a team, and that was it. Yeah. Even they had to say to him, can't keep doing this. So we stopped and we settled on a team and we actually won the league. There was only one up that season. Yeah. So you can imagine, you know, it was real, real pressure for us to get back into the championship. And I mean, every game, we were everyone's cup final. It was sold out every game for us. So it was a huge, huge year for us. It was a fantastic time, I've got to say. You played
1: really well at Birmingham, right? Like that first season, Birmingham were in a relegation battle. You actually win five of your last seven, but still end up going down on goal difference. And then the second season, you scored 20 goals, player of the season. You must have loved your time there.
0: Well, sometimes it alludes to me as a journeyman, okay? So I'll give you an idea, sort of a statistic, just to maybe back that away slightly. I finished 16 years of full years, yeah. okay? So full seasons. Yeah. So out of the 30, 30-odd 30 that I did, I finished 16. So I started and I finished 16. I was named player of the year, every one of those 16 years. No, that's crazy. And whatever club I was at, I was named player of the season. That's incredible. Each of those years. Fucking hell. So that gives you an idea. I got, played 1,100 games, got 330-odd goals. Journeymen don't do that. Yeah. I was what I was because I was a late developer. I matured late. I had issues as well that I had to deal with and get over like most people. So I was a very late start, I say. I only realised what I needed to do probably in my late 20s.
4: Yeah.
0: I just wish I had maybe a little bit more direction. I I left home at 15 and a half and I went to live in a hotel, went to live with someone and that was my lifestyle. So I was very much a case of I had to learn from my own mistakes. I had to understand and realise what I needed to do I had to understand what I had to exercise wise, sleep pattern wise, food wise, you know, all these things I was learning as on the job almost. So it took me 26, 27 before I could put all that together. And that's why it took me so long to get where I should have got a lot earlier.
3: Just before you left Birmingham, obviously Birmingham then went to Leicester, which was your pinnacle, really. Uh, Birmingham, obviously, it's full of big characters like Karen Brady is obviously a huge character within... Well, she's now a TV star, but she was a huge character within football at the time. Was she as intimidating and scary as...? No,
0: no. she I tried to do a a deal with her and she went and walked a dog. (laughs) So, uh, look, sometimes people get where they get because they know the right people. Some people get there because they're good at what they do. Sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know, isn't it? And was Paul Pesky Salido in the squad at the same time? Yeah, great lad really nice kid I mean I've never known anyone as relieved about not playing as Paul I've got to say <laughs> he used to be a nervous wreck until the manager said to sub Paul and then I could he'd relax and he'd enjoy the game. <laughs> I've got to say he's one of the nicest fellas you could wish to meet really lovely lovely lad
1: After Barry Fry Martin O'Neill another big 90s manager Leicester City 1.2 million
0: Well it was, it was one and a half in the end mean, it's 1.2 initially and then obviously with the Bits and pieces. In the end, it finished up a, a one-off. Mine bought me. Um, I was very, very ill. I had a an irregular heartbeat mm. since the age of 12 years old. I used to play football, and my heart would go. You know, when you do a hard session, your heart goes up to 180, 190, yeah. and you're tired. Well, mine would just flick like that, and it would suddenly just come on. And I used to sit down during football games, People would say, what are you doing? And I'd be sat in the centre circle because I couldn't move because my heart was going so quickly and I couldn't move. We eventually got the old ECG and heart monitors and all that. And we settled on amiodarone. Amiodarone is a drug that can make you feel very listless and tired. So I was taking that every day, but it was too much for me. I couldn't raise a gallop. So in the end, I used to take amiodarone before every game. I mean, if it came on, I wasn't doing sport, it would dissipate and go away. But if it came on during a game, it wouldn't leave me until I stopped yeah. and sat down. So there's no way I can play football, obviously, like that. So I used to take one before a game, and it helped. I used to take that through my career. Unfortunately, what that does is, and I don't know whether you know, but what gives you the energy in your body is a gland called your thyroid gland. Mm. It's in your throat, and it produces all the energy that you have throughout your body. Amiodarone broke my thyroid gland down.
4: Oh, God.
0: Stopped it working completely. So I'm playing in a football team at Birmingham. I don't know what's going on. I can't get out of bed. By this stage, obviously, my thyroid gland had completely stopped working. So I now have no energy. My body is producing no natural energy at all. So I'm cold. I'm listless. I went 13 games at Birmingham without scoring. Now, i would never gone longer than probably three games in my whole yeah. career. I don't know what's going on. Baz is doing his nut at me. Karen's doing her best to get rid of me. I don't know what's going on. Martin still takes me. I then go seven or eight games at Leicester. And I'm getting worse and worse as we go on. We played Millwall at home. And I ran out the tunnel down at Filbert Street. I got the centre circle. My hands are on my knees. I'm nearly collapsing. By this time, I've got pins and needles in my feet. We start the game. I've touched the ball six times. And I promise you now... I never felt the ball once.
3: Oh, my God. I come
0: off after 16 minutes. I barely can make it to the dressing room. I'm that tired. Anyway, I know there's something wrong now. I go to the hospital. I get tested. Literally, the next day, tests come back. They knew what was wrong. Because you piece the amiodarone in the background. In my memory, I think it's the Tuesday after the Saturday that I get taken off. But it might have been the Tuesday after that. Now, we've not won for seven games. There's a demonstration to get Martin out. Blimey. We have to get out of the ground through a back door because we can't get out the front because there's so many people demonstrating about getting Martin out. We haven't won for seven games. So I go to the hospital. They tell me what's wrong. Almost instantly, I start taking the tablets and I feel better. I'm due not to play in the next game. She doesn't want me to play. She says, it's too early. I said, please, Gaffer. Let me play. Please let me play. We've got eight games left. I play. It's Charlton away. We're literally last chance saloon. If we got beaten by Charlton, we're done. We cannot get in the playoffs. I scored, bearing in my hand, scored for nearly 20 games for Birmingham and Leicester. I've got the ball and I've bent one in the bottom corner. We win 1-0. We win, I think it's seven out of the next eight. We nick a playoff spot last game of season at Watford. We then know we are that good, we're going to win the playoffs. It yeah. doesn't matter who we've got, we're going to win the playoffs because we're that good. By that time, Neil Lennon has come. Muzzy it has come. I've come. The whole side have been transformed. He yeah. got rid of two or three who were pretenders, Yeah, people who flattered to deceive, shall I say. I won't name names, but lads that are better off out the door. And he got three or four of us in. We knew what we were about. And honestly, Martin must have bought, I'd say, probably in my time at Leicester, 40, 50 players. And only one of those, would I say, would have been a mistake. And that was Graham Fenton. Yeah. we bought a million pounds, and who just was not good enough to be at the club. 99.9% of people that Martin bought the club were absolutely spot on. He didn't bring a right winger in him ask him to play another away. He brought players for specific roles within the team. So every player who came in, came to the club and played in a system and a position that he'd played all his life and knew what he was doing and what he was good at. So Martin didn't do a huge amount through the week. The club almost ran itself. He came out on a Thursday, did a bit of pattern and shape. He came out on a Friday, did five a side. And we played until we let Martin win. (laughs) But Martin bought good characters. Tactically, he was very astute. And he bought players who knew what he was going to get. I played two and a half years for Martin. I walked off a pitch once at Leeds thinking, that's the only time we've really let ourselves down. Yeah, We got beat 3-0 and it was such an un performance. You wouldn't believe. But that's probably one of the only times when I look at us and think, we let ourselves down. If you weren't eight out of ten, we beat you.
3: I remember that. So it's got Martin O'Neill has got a lot of character, obviously a very charismatic man, but obviously played under Clough, and Clough's a similar person in the sense that he was quite hands-off training and stuff.
0: Yeah. Martin was there when when you needed him. Some managers can suffocate you. It's like a cloud. There's like a shadow over you constantly. Yeah. Whereas Martin stepped in and stepped out, but did it at the time when it needed to be done. Yeah. When you needed Martin, Martin was always
1: there. We've got to talk about the 1996 First Division Final. What a dramatic goal, possibly one of the most dramatic goals in Championship Player Final history. But One thing I wanted to ask you about, I saw Martin O'Neill interviewed and he said, because you took off your goalkeeper, it was that deep in injury time of extra time that they were like, oh, we'll bring on a penalty specialist, but then you score. And he seemed to think that subbing the goalkeeper may have just got in their heads
0: absolute rubbish and me and him, me and him will disagree till the day we die over this that was absolute rubbish I'll tell you what happened it was Gary Parker that messed the whole thing up and that's the reason why but um, don't get me wrong it's the only thing that me and Martin disagree with I've got to say but he, he was brilliant Martin but that was not the reason I can assure you the reason was I got fouled on the halfway line Parks never listened to anyone he was just a complete and utter lunatic He's great lad and I said to him, as I'm getting up, he's picking the ball up, ready to put the ball into the box. I said, Parks, do me a favor, mate, I'm cramping up. Just give me two seconds just to get myself in the box. Parks don't listen to you, does he? So I'm ambling forward. He takes it, I went, Parks? Told you I run on, didn't I? Ambling forward, ball goes in the box. Julian Watts goes up for the ball. It ricochets. I'm still making my way forward. So no one's picked me up. I'm on the edge <laughs> of the box as I get there. It drops out. I'm still going forward with the motion of trying to get into the box as it sits there and bounces oh. as I'm making my way in there. And I hit it, and there you go. The rest is history.
3: The rest is history.
0: Is that your favourite moment of your career, that? Game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, we go. I scored a goal in a cup final the next year, and it was a last-minute goal again. But there wasn't the meaning on it yeah. that that had. That's life-defining. That's life-changing. You're not talking about just from a perspective of being in the Premier League, you're talking about from a life perspective financially as well. Yeah. And everything else that comes with it.
3: That was a kind of a glory period for Leicester. But then in 2016, are you like, I can't believe this has happened. We've been totally eclipsed.
0: I've out. It's unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it?
3: No one's going to mention the League
1: Cup in 97.
0: Stole our thunder, yeah, absolutely. No, I, as I said, I mean, it's a fantastic achievement and marvellous. Marvellous thing to happen for the football club. It's a wonderful club. And at that stage, obviously, they deserved all the plaudits. So I'm really, really pleased. Look, we played our part. Every football club that I played for, I like to think that if you can't have success, then be remembered. Be remembered as somebody who gave everything. Somebody that fans would look at and say, if I was out there, that's the way that I would play. Yeah, I mean, you're a very popular figure across clubs and not just the clubs
3: you're at. Do you feel that from the game? Yeah,
0: I do. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd like to think I probably made the most of what I had, but also a big part of the game is not just what players do with the ball when they have the ball. The game is won in the main when you haven't got the ball. Because if you can't play without the ball, then you've got no chance of winning the game of football. It's as simple as that. Players who played with me appreciated what I brought to the party, so to speak. Outside of football, I am absolutely useless, as you can probably imagine. (laughs) I am the most ridiculously limited person that ever walked the face of the earth. I have a penchant for certain things. And after that, my interest levels and my boredom threshold is so low that I find it very, very difficult. You said to me, spend 10 minutes on this computer or go for a 10-mile run. I would be out the door quicker than you could say (laughs) 10 mile run. So that's me. I'm too old now to change in that respect.
3: I am what I am. It's done you pretty well so far. There's no point in it. Yeah, I
0: like to think that I am one of those that I have learned from my mistakes. I've learned that what it takes, a lot of people still don't understand how important your sleep is to you just in life in general, how important it is to eat good food. All these things I've had to learn.
3: Do you ever think you could go back to fruit and veg?
0: Oh, i I trying to buy the field. That I had the fee he won't, He's not having it, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Do
3: you think you can build up your old clientele again,
0: get back yeah, in Yeah, I mean, there's a donkey in the field now. I mean, people <laughs> said there was a donkey in it a long time ago.
3: <laughs> it's a great career, Steve. Do you know what? It's great to talk to someone that just absolutely loved being in football. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We always end
1: with one final question, and I think I know the answer to this. If you could go back... The first of January 1990 and relive it all again, would you?
0: Yes, I would. I I would do it differently, obviously. I would live part of my life differently. But I think you've got to look at what you had rather what you didn't have. And I've been given moments in my life that other people will never, ever experience. And I think I was very, very fortunate to experience what I experienced as well. So as I say, I, I consider myself a very, very lucky human being.
3: Amazing. Perfect. Steve Claridge, thanks very much. Pleasure. That was
1: Steve Claridge. What a
3: lovely man. Great stories. Absolute legend. Really liked him. Also, I just think like, you know, he he was a, a cult hero. I didn't want to use the word cult hero really around him, but uh, he was a cult hero, but actually he was better than that. That story about always being player of the year, incredible. I know, what a guy.
1: It makes you wonder what kind of heights he could have hit. Do you know what I mean? Like what if what if Fergie had taken him under the under his wing? Because you see the goals he scores. Let's let let's not let's not push it, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Those big goals he scores in the League Cup final, like they're outrageous.
3: They are outrageous goals. Well, as such a lover and knowledge of Steve Claridge, let's end with a Steve Claridge quiz. We'll do a very simple game oh, between no. you two. Oh god! It's first eleven, but we're going to play it with all of the clubs Steve Claridge played for in his senior career. Oh god! Okay, who wants to go first?
1: I'll go first. Fairham okay. Town,
3: correct. <laughs> um, Leicester. Really, really, yeah, Leicester. I think that was tactically naive, Skull. Yeah, that would have been more <laughs> <of> my favorite. Absolutely, <laughs> <cool>. oh,
1: Ricky. <laughs> I, I was seeing if I could do it in linear order. Portsmouth. Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, Birmingham. Yep. Yeah. Weymouth. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Cambridge. Yep.
3: Yeah. Wolves? Wolves? Yes, Wolves. Five games nineteen ninety-eight. 1998. Uh, Millwall? Man. Millwall, yes. 85 games, 2001 to
1: 2003. This has got tougher faster than uh, I thought it would. Aldershot.
3: Aldershot, 62 games, 1988
2: to 1990. Uh, I think my well might be dry. Um, <laughs> Give up? Yeah, I think I'm done. I think I've got one more. Go on. Sh-
1: yeah, come on. Boat. We didn't say Bir- we didn't say Birmingham, did we? I s- yeah, we I did. Yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, oh fine. Right. Uh, the one you could have got was Crystal Palace. Oh yeah, of course. Of and course. Bournemouth? Did we say Bournemouth? Didn't think we said Bournemouth. Uh, also available: Brighton, Brentford, Wickham, Gillingham, Bradford, Walsall, Worthing, Harrow Borough, and Gosport Borough, and Salisbury. There we go. <laughs> what a career. <laughs> What a career. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, have Steve Claridge on the show. Hope to have him again one day to discuss the second part of his career, which had three <laughs> times as many clubs. <laughs>
1: That's it for this week. Um, this outro comes courtesy of Chris Paris, who says, "Tata" for now. Efana Koukou.
0: Go, Les! Hey, Les! Hey, Les, over the top!